Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem to the town of David, because he belonged to the house of David, the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the last three weeks of Advent, we have been walking through this series called Behold. We've been considering how, first, how Advent is a time of silence, and silence is a wonderful gift from God where God meets us. We've also looked at how uh, this time of Advent is the time for us to sit with our longings because God loves to be a promise keeper. Last week, Katie Fight gave a wonderful message about how uh, through Mary's experience, Jesus continues to uh, defy uh, expectations and meet us there. But this week, I want to give uh, just almost a warning that we find in this story of Jesus' birth, and uh, a warning for us to be aware of, of us understanding who Jesus is, as well as for us just to live wisely in this world. And uh, today, I want to talk about whether or not we have room for Jesus. Our scripture reading began with a king and a census. This was in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Luke. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. Now, this chapter begins with, uh, it's a story about Jesus' birth, but it actually begins with a different king. Caesar Augustus was the most powerful person in the Mediterranean world. One of the greatest accomplishments of Caesar Augustus, his, uh, his reign was he brought about such expansion of the Roman Empire. They actually called it the Pax Romana. What this means is it's the peace of Rome. This was a time where Rome would, would continue to dominate and take over and conquer more and more countries. And at this point, during Caesar Augustus' reign, it is believed that one-third of the entire world's population was now under the, the reign of, of Rome, as part of the Roman Empire. And this brought about supposed peace. But as you see here, this was a peace based on violence oppression, domination. So it's like easy to kind of have that, that type of peace when you've destroyed all your other enemies. And it's just interesting for me this, to begin the story of Jesus's kingdom coming to this world, his, the, the coming of the king, Jesus. And it's like the writer of, of Luke's gospel wanted to put these two side by side the type of king and kingdom that this world expects, like Caesar Augustus, power and might, 
right next to the, the type of king and the kingdom that Jesus would bring of meekness, humility, different kind of power. Humanity is about to be introduced to this kind of king, this type of peace, not brought about through domination or violence, but brought by the sheer power of vulnerability, of forgiveness, of mercy, of love. Jesus' kingdom was breaking into this world on a night like any other. And it's just interesting for us to look now back 2,000 years ago, one-third of the world's population, and what kingdom is still reigning in this world? When we can look at the Roman Empire, we can find it only in museums and history books. We still know that Jesus' kingdom is expanding throughout this whole world. And Jesus is still king. These two different forms of kings and kingdoms will always be at work in this world. Two different kinds of power. Two different kinds of peace. And as followers of Jesus, we need to be very, very careful not to think Jesus will come in this type of kingdom, this kind of power, bringing this kind of peace. Because this is the default thinking for most of us. How easy it is to seek a type of peace when our enemies are destroyed. When we take what we want, where we seek to dominate those who are against us. That is not Jesus' kind of kingdom. For me, it's almost like this warning. If, if following Jesus, if that idea of what it means to be a Christian, if we are finding out that that kind of, of following Jesus does not challenge those with dominating power and comfort people with vulnerable need, we're not following Jesus. We're following a different kind of king, a different kind of kingdom. We are citizens of this type of kingdom, one established through Jesus' surprising, unexpected presence. What we find out in this story, we're getting a glimpse into, the very first glimpse into a different kind of kingdom. But what was Caesar Augustus up to? So he called for a census of the entire Roman world. This was a really uh, incredibly rare thing. Maybe it would only happen every 14 years or so. This uh, undertaking was likely to establish the taxes that each community and each different family line would have to pay. So regardless of where you live, you would have to go back to the town of your descendants, and that's exactly what Joseph and Mary had to do. So verse 4, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Now this seems like awful timing. Mary is now well into her pregnancy, and they had to go all the way to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a small village about six miles outside Jerusalem, but it was a hundred miles from Nazareth. A hundred miles. Now, I've personally have never been pregnant, uh, but I doubt that riding a hundred miles during your last trimester is something that you would look forward to. Think about it. It's from Waco here to Covington Middle School, that doesn't seem like great timing, right? And though it doesn't seem ideal, God is not surprised by this. 700 years before this experience happened, Jesus' birth was prophesied in the book of Micah. Micah 5.2 said this, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me 
one who will be ruler over Israel. This is the way of God. Like Katie said last week, one of God's signature moves, out of the small tribe, the easily overlooked tribe, will come the ruler over Israel. So in fulfillment of this prophecy, Joseph had to return to Bethlehem with Mary. Now, I've been pondering something. You know how you can read a story so much that an obvious question just kind of eludes you? For me, I was thinking about this story uh, with this notion, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I've never thought. Who, who here is from a small town? All right. Who, you're like, just go ahead and throw, yell out the number of your population in that small town. 13,000, yeah. 30? Can I go lower? 6,000. 500, okay, there you go. I think that might be a winner. 500 is pretty small. Now, usually in small towns, you, would, uh, you might not think this, but most people don't move from their small town. There's a lot of big families in small towns. Uh, and a small town usually has a tight, tightly knit family. Sometimes people would say a too tightly knit family, right? Uh, in the biblical Middle East, nothing was as important as family, Nothing was as important as their bloodline, their clan, their people. And if that is the case, something I've been thinking about is this. If Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem because that's where his family line was, wouldn't that mean all of Joseph's family would be there at the same time? Like his whole, his whole community, his whole family would all be there in Bethlehem. For a time and place where family meant everything, why is there no mention of Joseph's family in this story? Why is there no mention of them caring, caring for them, providing for them, welcoming them by relatives? Where is the big family reunion? Well, there's a reason. I believe it's found in verse 5. He went there, Joseph went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. This right here was a scandalous line, especially back then. With child and pledged to be married were words back then that did not go together. It was unheard of for people to be pledged to be married and also expecting a child. So I wonder if Joseph and Mary, they went there to Bethlehem and experienced the pain of being shunned by their family being shunned by their own people, the people who should care for them the most, had nothing but shut doors for them. They were turned away in disgrace. So this couple travels to Bethlehem exhausted, tired, pregnant, hungry, and what did they receive? Nothing but closed doors. Oftentimes, uh, stories in Scripture can feel impersonal, can feel wooden and, 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 and very distant. But just think of the desperation of this moment. I actually saw a picture a couple years ago, and it pops up every, every Christmas season. It's a modern depiction of this moment. If you would imagine this moment, here's this picture. The young couple, they go to an unfamiliar town. They're all out of options. Joseph is probably watching his wife with contractions that are strengthening. Mary is incredibly uncomfortable. They have no place to go. The night's getting dark. It's getting cooler. You just think of the fear, the confusion, the panic that you would have in that moment. And there was no room for them. Door to door, every place was full. 
The city was already bursting at the seams because of this, uh, because of the census. So there's no room. But what people didn't realize was this: when they turned away this young couple, they were turning away the most divine encounter. They were they were turning that as way, away as well. So with no other place to welcome the Son of God, no other place, where do they find themselves? Verse 6, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger of all places, because there is no guest room available for them. The great deliverer, the promised Messiah, the one and only Christ, was born in a stable, resting in a manger, in a trough. The long-awaited Messiah finally arrives, and who was there to greet him? Just two poor, frightened, homeless, wide-eyed parents. No family, no regalia, no luxury. Just Mary and Joseph beholding Christ with the smell of manure in the air. This picture for me of Jesus' beginning tells so much of the story. Tells so much of the story. That one little picture of who Jesus would be. Jesus would walk through this world lowly and humble without excess. One time he even said to his followers, be careful if you're choosing to follow me. I have no place to rest my head. This is the picture how surprising Jesus would be. How unexpected he would be. He would not be like other kings. He, unlike Caesar Augustus, he would not care for worldly power, for affluence or domination. Jesus would establish his kingdom through being present in people's pain and suffering, going to the darkest places in this world and being there. And being there with mercy and justice and grace to lift up the lowly, to be with the humble, covering them with dignity. People would again and again overlook and misunderstand this surprising Savior that we find on Christmas Day. The religious elite saw him as a threat. His best friends, the disciples, they seemed incredibly disappointed at who Jesus would become even his own family at one point thought he was going crazy and they tried to bring him home. Everyone seemed to misunderstand him. Yet the ones who seemed to see him, who had eyes to see him, the ones who actually understood who Jesus was the most, who were they? They were the down and out, the persecuted, the desperate, the misfit the outcasts, those in social disgrace, those in need, those who are hoping for a fresh start, they would see the Messiah. They had eyes to see, they had ears to hear. The beginning of the story seems to tell almost all of it. But this moment of Jesus' birth, it gives us another picture, not only of how unexpected Jesus would be, but it also gives us a picture of humanity's limitations. How we seem so limited to create room for God in our life. This is what happened for Jesus at his birth and it's what happens over and over again throughout Scripture in our life. At the call to come and follow Jesus, people would not have room for Jesus in their plans. At the call to leave all possessions and wealth behind, people wouldn't have room for that kind of simplicity. When people were called 
to love their enemy, forgive those who persecute them. They wouldn't have room for that kind of compassion. Again and again, people would display that there is not enough room for Jesus or Jesus' way in our lives. So what about us 2,000 years later? What about you? Maybe today, maybe Advent gives us a time for a census of our own. Maybe we should take account of our own lives, our own hearts. I wonder if you have room for Jesus today in your life. I wonder if you have room in your schedule to meet with Jesus in solitude and prayer while the humming sound of the rest of this world moves on. I wonder if you have room in your hearts for others I wonder if you have the ability to look beyond your own interest to consider the needs of others, others' pains, others' experience. I wonder if you have room in your life for Jesus, though he might come to you in the form of someone with deep and inconvenient needs. Someone who might need a meal. Someone who might need a conversation. Someone who might need a loving embrace. Do you have room for Jesus today? Once Jesus was talking to his followers about the importance of serving those with need, and all of a sudden Jesus started mixing up pronouns in a really confusing way. Jesus declared, you gave me food, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. You visited me in prison. You clothed me. You visited me when I was sick. And the confused disciples said, uh, when did this happen? We've never done that for you. Then Jesus said these famous words, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, Jesus has always and will always identify with those in need. The question is, do you have room for him by having room for them? When there's a knock at the door, we have room to open it up. My guess is Luann and Nick could say that when they were in Rwanda, they saw the face of Jesus. They experienced his nearness, his presence. Why? There's no question that Jesus was there. So let's just take a second in our own life, right now, think of the person whom your life touches today, the person who feels like a stranger, who doesn't belong, who's looking for home, the one who's hungry, the one who's thirsty, the one who's battling sickness, the one who's held captive, whether they are imprisoned physically or they're imprisoned spiritually or emotionally. Think of that person's face right now. First off, if we don't have someone in your mind, this is not a good sign. If you have someone in your mind, just hold them there. And as you picture, you behold their face, know this, that you are beholding Christ. And for those of us who struggle to imagine who that person is, we need to know and experience the nearness of Christ by knowing those who are in need and serving them wholeheartedly. This story teaches us, be careful when you turn away those in need. Because in doing so, you might be turning away your Savior, your healing. You might be turning away your deliverance. And Advent calls us to make room We often sing together in this season, joy to the world, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. And then this line, let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare room for Christ. 
Do you have room for Him in your heart and in your life today? Is your heart so full of pain and despair today you cannot make room for hope? Is your heart so full of self-righteousness, of being good, that you cannot have room to embrace the sinner? Is your heart so full of bitterness that you cannot have any room for a type of forgiveness and love where you can actually serve your enemy? Is your heart so full of clutter and busyness and noise that you seem too distracted to hear the needs of others? Is your heart so full of regret and shame that you cannot make room for the undeserved gift of grace that Christmas reminds us of? This is the calling of Advent. Let every heart prepare him room. So regardless of where your heart is today, I, I just I need to share this with you because this is the Christmas story. God always has room for you. Though you may not have much room in your heart and your life today, there's no guilt and shame given to you. What you need to know is this, that God has room for you. God always has room for you. Jesus never will turn away the needy. Jesus doesn't shut people out. Unlike Joseph's family, Jesus doesn't care to protect his image. He's not afraid of social disgrace. He has room for you. Some might interject, now who am I to be welcomed by God? Who am I to be embraced? I don't deserve it. Remember, the beginning of the story tells the whole thing. Jesus was born in a barn, and his first bed was a trough. So do not think that God is too good to be welcomed into the brokenness in your life. Jesus arrived in the middle of the night to let us know that Christ is not afraid of darkness, but it's in fact in that very dark darkness where the light breaks out the most. That's the way with Jesus. The mentality of scarcity that we have of running out of room, it's a foreign concept to Jesus. He has no fear of running out of room. God knows no scarcity. With Jesus, there's a breadth and a depth that we cannot fathom. We need room this season of Advent to even have imagination to comprehend this kind of boundless love of God. Paul, uh, who came after the time of Jesus, he planted a lot of different churches. Uh, one of the churches he planted was in a town called Ephesus, and he wrote this prayer, this beautiful prayer, it was a prayer for a gathering, just like ours. And this is what he said. He said, my response is to get down on my knees before the Father. I asked him to strengthen you by his Spirit. This is his prayer for this church, that they would be strengthened by his Spirit. Not a brute type of strength, not the type of Caesar Augustus type of strength, but a gracious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the doors and invite him in. As you know that you have room for Christ in your life, as you open up those doors and invite him in, and maybe there's some people here who've never done that with Jesus. You've never opened up yourself to invite Christ in. You can do that today. And Paul went on to say, and I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all the other followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. That's what we need power for. Not that we could be perfect, not that we could go out there and change this world. We need first and foremost to have power to understand the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love, to reach out and experience the breadth, to test its limits, plumb, plumb the depths, rise to the heights. 
Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. That's a prayer that Paul would have for Ephesus. That's a prayer that I would have for you this Christmas season. Though you might not have room for Jesus, you need to know that he has room for you. And notice that this prayer was not that they would be perfect, but that that they would have power to understand the incredible depth and breadth of God's love. One that is not as, as far from scarcity. When you think you've hit your limits, there is more room with God's love. When you've received too much forgiveness, there is more. That is why this prayer is that we would have strength and courage to open up the doors of our lives, open up the doors of our hearts, and invite Christ in to live in and through you. Make room for Jesus this Christmas season. Open up those doors. Do you have room enough to conceive that Jesus continues to come in the most surprising manners that this holy night reminds us of? That he comes to establish a different kind of kingdom. Are you a member of that kingdom? Are you making Jesus' type of peace known in the world? Do you know that king? Well, Advent's almost here, friends. Jesus is on his way. Open up those doors to your life, to your heart, and make room for your Savior.